order the meeting of the Historic Preservation Commission. Uh, first meeting in 2024, January 29, 2024. So please rise uh, for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge please. Chair Murray. Here. Commissioner McDevitt. Here. Commissioner Link. Absent. Commissioner Roberts. Here. Commissioner Velez. Absent. Commissioner Vylander. Present. Commissioner Preston. Welcome to Mr. Preston. <laughs> Welcome. Um, public forum. I do not have any speaker slips. If there's any members joining us via Zoom, if you wish to speak, please raise your hand and I'll call on you momentarily. I have no hands raised. Okay. Are there any amendments or adjustments to the agenda uh, there's no amendments or adjustments however um, we do want to take this opportunity to welcome a new commissioner tonight uh, welcome mark preston um, we're ecstatic to have you to be part of the commission mark was um, appointed to the to the commission by city council um, as a replacement um, and if mark if you would could you please introduce yourself and maybe just give a few words about yourself I'm Mark Preston. I've lived in Santa Barbara County for. It is on. It is on. Does that help right there? Is it closer. is working? Okay, good. So I've lived in uh, Santa Barbara County since the middle '60s. I've lived in Santa Barbara a lot in Goleta, uh, 35 years in the San Ynez Valley, and then back here. And I've always been involved in history, uh, no matter where I've been. My wife was the president of the Bilton Historical Society and since I moved back here I've been involved with Santa Barbara Museum uh, of History, um, the Goleta Valley uh, History Group. Uh, spent a lot of time with both of them and I recently wrote a book about the history of uh, Gaviota Past but it is uh, hard to write and even harder to get published so maybe in the next few months. So that's why I'm here. I, I follow all this stuff. And I've been involved in the main bag house somewhat over the last year or so. So that's right on the edge of Goleta. Thank you. Thank you so much. Welcome. Thank you. Okay. So moving on to discussion items. Uh, please read the item into the procedure. Thank you, Chair Murray. Um, Item A1, Procedure for Designating City Landmarks and Historic Resources. Thank you, Chair Murray. Um, 
So that brings us to item A1, the procedure for designating uh, City of Galita historic resources as well as city landmarks. We've had this discussion, um, at least questions from the commission the last several meetings about what is the procedure for establishing historic resources and city landmarks, so we wanted to go over those today um, and provide the criteria as well as just the general procedure. Um, so I'll give a background. So on April 19, 2022, the council adopted Historic Preservation Ordinance 22-05, which established the criteria and procedures for establishing historic resources and city landmarks. Um, and so I want to go over these in detail. There, there's uh, five items that I want to talk about, and they're sequential items. Um, and they really start with, a, with an application to, deem, to designate a city landmark or historic resource. And that application um, is initiated by a, a resident of the city. Um, and if that applicant is not the pro property owner, the, um, the director, um, within 10 days of the receipt of the nomination, will notify that property owner that it has been applied for a designation, um, and they will proceed accordingly. The second step is, of course, the Historic Preservation Commission hearing. At that time, the applicant will um, um, you know, present their case. You know, this case is usually um, associated with a historic survey by a professional historian. Um, and that hearing uh, must happen with 90 days of the application being deemed complete. So that's when it'll be come before the commission for a recommendation to the city council. Um, number three is the interim protection. So in between the, the application in, in the actually hearing by the city council, um, no on-site activities, you know, other than their the maintenance and routine maintenance and repair of that property um, can occur on site um, until the city council has made their determination. So the city council hearing um, should happen um, within 180 days of the application being deemed complete. And at that time, the city council must decide whether to put that on the historic resource inventory. Um, Failure by the city council to act within the 120 days automatically results in the application be de being denied. If the property is uh, designated by the city council, um, the, the owner will be notified if it's not the applicant, and it will be listed on the city's historic inventory um, list. Um, and I should note, you know, the, the ordinance right now is, is pretty silent in, in determining the procedures to designate a historic resource. However, the city landmark uh, procedures is pretty much identical to what the historic resource uh, designation would be. Um, I also want to mention, you know, it's the same procedures and process if... Um, if an amendment is being proposed to the historic resource inventory, or if an applicant is proposing to rescind the property from the list, it's uh, essentially the, the same, same procedure in which the historic 
uh, commission will be providing a recommendation to city council. And so I briefly want to talk about the criteria for establishing a historic resource. So there's really four main ones. And the first is, um, you know, a, a professional historian has to present a, a, historian, a, a historian report or survey, basically evaluating the, the criteria, um, whether it is of historical importance. Um, for example, you know, with our current ordinance as well as our con context statement in the current HRI, we had um, the Historic Resources Group prepare the applicable documentation. Secondly, um, it is um, can be designated if it's a listed in the National Register of Historic Places or in the California Register of Historical Places, either individually or as a contributor to a designated historic district. And I should mention that you know these four criteria um, to be considered a historic resource, it must satisfy one of these four criteria. The third one. It's designated as a, county of Santa, as a County of Santa Barbara landmark or County of Santa Barbara place of historic merit. And then lastly, it's, designated, it's a designated historic landmark or contributor to a designated historic district by the city council. So that's really the procedures for historic landmarks as well as our historic resources, um, as well as the criteria we'll be looking at. And again, the commission will act as an advisory uh, body to the city council. Thank you, Chair Murray. If there's any questions, I'm happy to answer. I'm going to pass to you at this point. I mean, if I may say that uh, after the application, there's 90 days for the report to come in. Uh, it seems to me perhaps soon. But uh, um, I mean, in some ways, that's nice that there's promptitude. But in terms of if some place is suggested, then the bureaucracy here hires an historian who researches, writes up an evaluation, and gives it back to you. And then we get the report in, in terms of our commission. Yeah, so once an application is submitted to the city, mm -hmm. We um, have the ability to look at the application to make sure it's complete. Mm -hmm. And if and when it is complete, that's when the 90 days start. And so typically our turnaround on application completeness can be anywhere from you know, two to four weeks. We always try and deem them either incomplete or complete by uh, 30 days. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think a 90-day turnaround after the, the 30 days is sufficient in order to review and analyze the, the historic survey and bring it before the board. Okay, and you have a list of historians that you would regularly Correct. consult for such yeah. a matter. Yeah, okay, thank you. Um, and if I could just add, the 90 days, uh, well, as part of the completeness review, we would expect that the application would include that historic um, evaluation prepared by you know, a professional. And so that's, <clears throat> that 90 days isn't for us to prepare it. That, um, so that would be part of the application materials would be preparing and submitting at the applicant's expense the, um, the report. The 90 days would be for oh. us to um, 
evaluate it, make sure it's correct, and also then get it scheduled before hearing. And as you know, your calendar, you know, we don't necessarily have meetings every month. And mm -hmm. so the 90 days is just to give us some buffer to, you know, let's say, you know, somebody, we deem something complete and lo and behold, you don't have a meeting for 60 days. Um, you know, we wanna make sure that we aren't um, shorting the time frame and then, or running into a problem. And the same thing with the 180 days for the council from the date we deem it complete. It's just to make sure that there's enough time to get before historic, before you. Um, and then maybe you want more than one meeting to look at it or have questions. And then uh, making sure that we have enough time to get on a council agenda. And, you know, those are usually pretty impacted and, you know, they're already scheduling things. You know, we're in January. I'm pretty sure that different departments are already scheduling things into March and April um, already for council. So it's just making sure that we had enough lead time to get there and, and not um, run into problems. Um, and I should introduce myself, sorry, Lisa Prossi, current planning manager. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you probably don't know who I am, so anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you, yeah. I, I, it wasn't, I don't think it was written in here that it's actually the applicant who hires the historian and prepares that report. And so, yeah, that makes more sense to me now. Okay, thank you. Point of information, would that be okay? So I'm new to the process, and without going into deep details, I, I noticed that the uh, verbiage here talks about 29 properties, of which seven are under consideration this evening. But the, the 29 properties have already been designated uh, historic resources? Yeah, good, good question. So, um, so we have 29 historic resources. Um, and the last couple of meetings, we've been going over those in detail, just introducing those and going into a brief summary of those. Um, there's nothing on here for you know adoption. This is purely just a list of those items. Last meeting, we did seven. So we just talked about the seven landmarks, Lita City landmarks. And today, we'll continue that discussion. Um, the, 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 next, the next item, where we'll be um, looking and introducing the board to seven, seven more items of that 29. So purely today is just for discussion. There's no, nothing to be, um, there's no decisions to be made. This is purely educational and informational. So the decisions have been made and yes. we're just going over seven and seven and then maybe the next meeting we'll do another seven of the 29 until we get to the end of the, exactly. get to the bottom Correct. of the barrel. Okay, thank you very much. Correct. And can I, sorry, Chair Murray, can I just, um, when we went through the historic, pre I, I was a participant on the historic preservation ordinance. Uh, when we went through the process of um, many years of working on the historic preservation ordinance, one of the actions in addition to coming up with the regulations, we, the, the city, um, <clears throat> sorry, we adopted a list of 29 properties that were deemed to be historic resources, and of that 29, seven were determined, adopted by council to be, uh, uh, to the level of being an, uh, 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 a Goleta landmark. So, and as you just mentioned, yeah, the, I, the purpose of this meeting tonight and the meeting in December, um, at the suggestion 
of some commission members was to go through them so that the commission is well aware of the, the buildings and why they're, um, at least what we have on the records of um, being historic. Um, and the list was an initial list. And uh, the list, the idea is that it's um, a living document and that over time we expect people uh, to make uh, to make applications and and uh, you know and and then with the list can be expanded. So that is, but this was the inaugural, I guess, the first list of properties, and we do expect more to be added over time. Um, two very quick questions. Just this is first one's idle curiosity. Why would someone rescind a property? I mean, that is a very good question. Um, I mean, just brainstorming, maybe a, a property owner maybe is not appreciating the designation or um, any other ideas, Lisa? Um, I think some of it might be if, if let's say, I hate to say it, if there was some natural disaster, mm. you know, building burned down, earthquake, mm. <laughs> you know, as much as we would like it to be rebuilt, it won't have the historic character anymore. So that's might be what could happen, but you're right. It would be really um, unfortunate for that to happen. Yeah. And then the other question was, um, if there's a, a property that's on the list, does that mean that there's always a potential person that would bring that forward to make it legally a landmark? Yes, that's correct. I have a question. So does the city have a form for landmarking things? Do we have a, a formal form for someone to want to come and landmark something? Or is that just like a free form that someone just comes up with something? Yeah, we, we don't have a specific application at the moment, but that is something that we will be working on. Well, our application does have a, yeah. a check mark. Yeah. yeah, our application does have a check mark. It's the general application. Um, and when you look at the applications, there's boxes of what you want to apply for. We do have a historic uh, review box. So we okay. will. Um, so, so we come to the when we we come to the to the counter and get it, and then just yeah. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. But it's also online, and I mean, we had a conversation as planning staff of yeah. we identified several application types that are maybe not quite reflected appropriately on our application form, and we are working on updating it. So okay. if it isn't there, it will be there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. <laughs> okay. The other thing is, um, if um, if a landmark was uh, destroyed or demolished or or have a demolition neglect, I keep talking about this because there's one landmark that is needs to be taken care of, what happens? Is there are there penalties for if if des desecration of landmarks? Um, it would be. I know it would, we added it to the. Um, sorry, we added it to the list of things uh, that is that uh, code compliance can use it as a public nuisance um, as one of one of the criteria of what could be deemed a public nuisance if somebody is not taking care of a building that is um, determined to be historic. 
Um, and we have a section in the code about that. I mean, they would be subject to the normal, unfortunately, it's not that, nor the normal code compliance process. Um, and thought we added some extra penalties, and I will look. Um, yeah. Thought we added some extra penalties. Um, For FTC? Yeah. I'm going to look up the Muni code. I think there was something about not being able to get permits for a certain length of time if uh, demolition happened uh, without permits. Yeah, if, if a historic, this is, um, Section 17.33090E2 <laughs> um, in our Muni Code. It says, if a historic resource is demolished without approval of both a zoning permit and a demolition permit, no building or construction-related permit shall be issued and no permits or use of the property shall be allowed from the date of the demolition for a period of three years for residential properties and five years for non-residential properties. Okay. So, I mean, it's not, it's not the, at least there's a penalty of, if, you know, of lo long-term economic use. I mean, no, it doesn't bring back the resource, but at least there was some penalty of, of doing something like that. And the other question I have is, is there a um, enforcement of of taking care of landmarks. I mean, if, if, if uh, there's a landmark that is being really neglected, and that neglect, neglectedness can contribute to demolition by neglect, is there a process in the city to warn that property owner and say, look, your property is a, land, a city landmark. Uh, it's deteriorating, we can see it. Uh, um, would you do something? Is there some kind of enforcement or s gentle, soft enforcement or something that will entice someone to care for resources? Um, I think I, I know what building you're talking it. about. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there is an application in for that building, for that whole site. So we know that they um, are proposing something and we can talk to the applicant to make sure that the building is secure and the roof is, They're th aware. that it's weatherproof so that no further um, weathering yeah. from the elements happen. That's good. That's good to hear. I mean, it's okay to announce it. It's, it's a landmark. Excuse me. May I comment? Yeah. I was very much involved in this whole issue within the county in Los Olivos and San Ynez, and the reason people would opt out is they felt like there was constraints on their property. They purchased the property as a historic site. It was part of the escrow agreement and, and the real estate, but they, some people just feel constrained by that issue. And then other times, a classic example is Maddie's Tavern. It was owned by a company 
they didn't want the historic designation. The people of Los Olivos wanted the historic designation. And it turned into quite a flop with uh, television trucks and, and big meetings and things like that. So uh, it rarely happens. But there, there are certain constraints with very little enforcement that you can do, but it's out there. And so some people don't want the constraints, and some people want to get rid of the constraints, and some people are happy to have the designation. So it just depends on the situation. Thank you. Mm. Any other questions or comments? Yeah. One, one um, thing that Ms. Prosty brought up, too, just for general information, is part of the ordinance number 2205, which you all have copies of, there is a section 17.33.120. It's maintenance of historic resources, um, which is a good section to, to read over. That's good. Thank you. But, but again, it, it, I mean, yes, it is a good one. But it does, um, at least it, it refers back to that it becomes a public nuisance if it uh, um, is deemed to, a failure to meet the maintenance requirements could be considered a public nuisance, and then it became kicks into the um, code compliance process. And Mr. Uh, Chair Preston, to to your comment, um, you know, right now the ordinance doesn't include language that would, um, you know, provide an avenue or opt out strategy for. Um, by a, a property owner um, if they were not the ones to apply for designation. Um, they could try, but the ordinance doesn't have a, a procedure for the applicant to do that. Um, again, one procedure they could al always do, as with any hearing, public hearing, um, is submit an appeal. Um, but you know, the city council is the ultimate authority. Any appeals of council goes before the, before the courts. Just a clarification. There is no appeal of counsel. If someone was unhappy with the decision, they'd have to file a challenge, a legal challenge. I understand. I just was trying to explain what I had experienced out there, the world of people that were designated that didn't want it and people that wanted, didn't want to be designated. And, and uh, it's a can of worms, but hopefully we'll never run across that here. <laughs> Okay, uh, ready to move on to item A2. Please read it to the record. Item A2, discussion regarding the City of Goleta's adopted historic resources. Mr. Secretary, you may proceed. All right, thank you, Chair Murray. Um, moving on to item A2. Uh, again, we're going to continue the discussion from last meeting. Um, regarding the properties and features and sites associated with the historic resource inventory. Last time we discussed, uh, we started with the seven landmarks, um, and today we'll continue on with um, the next seven, and then the next meeting after this will continue on as well. Um, so I think, you know, as, as we move to landmarks, to historic resources, I think it's a good prompt for us to um, remember what is a historic resource and, and what's the purpose of a historic resource. Um, 
And again, this was adopted in resolution 22-10 on April 5th, 2022. So again, this is a very new ordinance. Um, and that ordinance contained the contact statement, the designated Goleta landmarks, um, as well as the Exhibit C, the historic resource inventory. And again, the purpose is to really preserve and protect the historic resources that once lost cannot be replaced or replicated. Um, and as I mentioned before in the early item, there is four criteria, and I'll briefly go over those again, just so um, people listening at home have a chance. Um, to establish and designate a historic resource, one, it has to be identified as potentially eligible through a historic resources survey um, by a professional historian. Number two um, is either listed on the National Register of Historic Places or the California Register of Historical Places. Three is the designated county of Santa Barbara landmark or a county of Santa Barbara place of historical merit. And then the last one is if it's associated with a historic, historical landmark or a contributor to a designated historic district by the city council. Um, and one thing to familiarize yourself is to, um, regarding the HRI, we all have the State of California Resources Agency Department of Parks and Recreation informational pages. Um, those are extremely helpful um, if you're wanting to take a closer look in detail. Um, let's see. This. So let's start with the with the next properties. Actually, can I interrupt for a second? Sure. Sorry. Did we do public comment on the last item? Can we? I think. Can we pause this, and then maybe I guess we'll have you reread it into the record. Or would you like me to ask for? Yeah, we'll just reread it back into the record. And then for public, and then you can open it for public comment, see if there's any public comment, then close the item and then reopen. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All of a sudden I'm like, ooh. <laughs> so item A1. Yes, please. Item A1, procedure for designating city landmarks and historic resources. Are there any pu uh, public comments um, uh, regarding this item? I do I'm not. sorry we are out of place and we finished discussion, but we welcome any comments from the public. want to address this uh, item one, item A1. I don't have any speaker slips for this item, but this, if there's any members joining us via Zoom who wish to speak, please raise your hand and I'll call on you momentarily. I have no hands raised. Thank you. So, ma'am, do you want to close? So we close the public comment for A1, for item A1. Right. And now we go back. And then I guess you can just say, I mean, there's no other, no action needed. No action needed. So we then move on to item A2, Mr. Secretary. Thank no. you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Go okay. ahead, please. Oh, yeah. Well, no, for public comment. No, not yet. Okay. Not yet. After. Okay. Sorry. We'll pick back up. So, yeah, with, with that, let's start with the, the next seven properties. 
And the first one we're going to discuss, and again, this is meant to be an informal discussion. There's a lot of knowledge and information on the, on the, in the commission. So if you have any questions or comments or, you know, during the, the presentation or after um, each property, please let me know. We'd be happy to discuss those. Uh, so the first property is 5728 Aquila Avenue. Um, this was built in 1918. Um, and this single-family residence is a great example and a rare remnant of Blida's early residential development um, that occurred between La Patera and La Galida. Um, and so this residence was actually predates um, subdivision tracks in, in that neighborhood. So this was actually built 10 years before the first subdivision track was approved by the County of Santa Barbara. Um, in this neighborhood that surrounds it, it's a great rare example of early 20th century residential development in Goleta. Um, the early 20th century was a great um, era in terms of Goleta's uh, residential development, really laying the groundwork for future growth. Um, not only that, as you can see, this is a, a classic California uh, Craftsman uh, Bungalow. And it is rare now for Inglita to have uh, California bungalows. There's only a few left. Um, but this is a great uh, local example of one. Um, kind of architectural elements. Um, you know, it's a classic front porch. Um, the in the front beams along the porch as well as the as the front windows. Is there any added comments with this with this property? Thank you for that. Um, yeah, just um, following that comment. Yeah, th there are several um, uh, bungalows or this style of craftsmen. Uh, like I was um, earlier telling someone that the South Kellogg, 110 South Kellogg, has the Kellogg House, which is also from, I think it was 1912 or something, and it's also not a little, not as high style as this, but uh, also really nice. There's also another one up on, uh, if you go up Fairview Avenue, um, up towards where Robin lives, there's one on the right side. There's several, but uh, so um, I'm gonna try to get them, uh, get into the, the list <laughs> anyway, but we do have some. And of course, the back house is the ultimate high style craftsman, <laughs> as we know. So it's in the Eastern Kalida, but we count it as Kalida. Mm -hmm. any, any other comments from this side? Uh, 
I have I have just one question. Do we know the family who owned the house? Uh, I do not. Okay. Um, one question we have, Chair Murray, is as an option. You know, we we can do public comment on each property oh, okay. if we want to, just in case yeah, there's someone please, online. Do you want to do that? Someone is listening and okay. wondering. Great. So, if there are no more uh, comments or questions from the commission, or one one more question from the commissioner. Oh, hello. It's maybe because I missed last meeting, but what was the process by which this became? So designated. Did was there an application and? No, it was um, during the development of the historic preservation ordinance and the associated mm -hmm. list. Mm -hmm. um, our consultant had identified. I think we started off with like seventy-five or eighty properties that could be You know, could be listed, and. During one of the hearings before the planning commission, there um, it was the planning commission thought it might be better to scale it back and just have the the most representative of um, you know something that was historic um, just to start, knowing that things could be added over time. And so this one property uh, just was felt to be quite the gem um, and represented. Uh, like like Daryl was or Mr. Mimic was bringing up about the the size and scale and architectural style and mm -hmm. and the age of it um, to to warrant being on the uh, initially adopted by city council. So the study <laughs> per se would have been was done by the consultant that we had hired to do the whole ordinance and evaluation. They surveyed the entire city. They drove the whole city looking for resources, had looked at our general plan, looked at the county records um, to come up with uh, having an idea of what um, buildings in the city were, his, you know, of historic merit. Mm -hmm. And I use that term, you know, not, not as we use it in the code, but, you know, just generally. And then, you know, scaled it down. Okay, thank you. Okay. Um, so uh, shall we move on to public comment, please, on this and or at this particular house? If there's any members joining us via Zoom that wish to speak to this item specifically, please raise your hand, and I'll call on you momentarily. I have no hands raised and no speaker slips. Thank you. Okay, moving on to the next resource. Great, thank you, Chair Murray. Uh, next, we're going to move on to 550 Cambridge Drive. Um, this is a building that was built in 1963 and was the first uh, Baptist church in the Glida Valley. Um, it's currently called uh, Cambridge Community Search. And this is really an excellent example of mid-century modern um, architecture in Glida. Um, it was designed in the mid-century modern style by Kruger and Benson, AIA art, um, architects, in 1963. It exhibits quality of design and distinctive features, including the A-frame roof and overhanging eaves and exposed rafter tails, glass, plaster, and brick exterior wall panels, and accents. Um, 
And to note in terms of the mid-century modern uh, style of architecture in Goleta, it really started to occur um, after the decades of, of World War II as Goleta was transforming from transforming into a new commercial and institutional um, uh, buildings as well as several large housing tracts in the area um, that led to more religious institutions. Um, and this led to the expansion of really this type of architecture in Goleta. With that, is there any um, comments or? Any comments, questions? Just one. This is the one that I know. I got this list <clears throat> before I got the the presentation, you know, as a new member. So I went out and drove these seven properties. When I got to this one, I saw 550. And I said, well, geez, that looks like a church from the 1960s, you know. It, but on that property, there is a red, looks like an agrarian house and possibly a barn, I think, those two buildings might predate the church itself and be part of an agricultural property that was possibly donated to the church. So I would only ask that, that somebody just tie those in together and find out whether the, the little red house was built in 1970 or it actually looks 20-esque, but I'm no professional architect. But uh, that's where my wife and I had Lamaze training when my son was born, mm -hmm. and he is now over 35, so it's, it's been a while. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, I can speak to that red house. Yeah, that's in 1870. And there's, there's, there's also a, yeah. a barn back there that may or may not be. Yeah, and those are the kind of resources we have to really go survey and add to the list. The other thing is right also next door is another beautiful church. That's a Mormon church. It's also really elegant. It's also mid-century. So you have these two churches that are so elegant, and I, I'm going to be adding those to the list. As I walk around. But if you take a, a walk around that neighborhood, it is really a sense of Galita. You've got the elementary school right there across the way. You got those two churches. You got the 1870s farmhouse and barn. Anyway, it's just a really special part of Galita. And Thank this you, building is, this should be a landmark. I mean, <laughs> it's really great. And then, so we need public, if there's any public comment, please. If there's any members of the public joining us via Zoom that wish to speak on 550 Cambridge Drive, please raise your hand. I have no speakers for this item. All right. Moving on to number three. <laughs> Thank you. The next property is 175 uh, Chapel Street, uh, single-family resident, uh, built in 1915. Again, this is a rare remnant of Lita's early resident residential development uh, between La Patera and La Galida. Um, in terms of, of an architectural style, this would be a neoclassical style. Um, and again, is a very increasingly rare remnant of, of 
neoclassical architectural style in, in the in the city. Um, as you can see, it's got a, a front hipped roof with a prominent uh, front dormer, which is um, really resembles the neoclassical style, as well as a prominent front uh, facing porch, um, box eaves with a cornice, and then um, the front porch as well. Um, any additional comments regarding this historic resource? I'm just curious, who designated that neoclassical? Who did? Yeah, it was just designated by the our consultant, the historic resources group. It's a little difficult to see because of the fence. I, I think I'll go look at it and just see. Yeah, I'll just leave it at that. I have some very nice pictures that I took by holding my camera up over the fence, and it is uh, it <laughs> looks better without the fence than it does with the fence. And that, that is what's listed on, on the DPR file as well. Yeah. Is that uh, was was uh, neoclassical because of the pyramid roof? Yeah, and the I think way the treatment of those uh, uh, windows that are coming at the corner like that and mm -hmm. that cornish. Yeah, the DPR you know has the character defining features. One is the one story height. The other is the rectangular plan and simple massing. The hip roof with prominent front-facing dormer and box eaves with a cornice. The horizontal wood siding, the partial width porch with classical columns. Oh, that's it. Double-hung wood ash windows and simple window and door surrounds. All right. Any other comments or questions? Let's see if there's any public comments. If there's any members of the public joining us via Zoom that wish to speak on 175 Chapel Street, please raise your hand. I have no speakers for this item. Okay. Seeing none, we uh, move on to number four. Thank you, Chair Murray. That brings us to 6595 Covington Way. I do want to thank Mr. Mark Preston for noticing a typo in the staff report. Um, regarding the, the address, so thank you for that. Um, so this was built in, in 1965, and is currently the Christ Lutheran Church. And again, this is really a good example of mid-century modern architecture um, designed by Robert G. Johnson. He was a Los Angeles architect um, known in this area as well as Ventura in the LA area for designing these types of, of uh, mid-modern um, churches um, as well as institutional buildings. Um, this is at the corner of Covington and Los Caneros and some character defining features of, of this property and building was the one-story configuration really the exaggeration of horizontal massing in a low-pitched gable uh, with, with pretty prominent overhang eaves. 
Um, unadorned wall surfaces and stucco exterior walls. Uh, flush mounted metal frame, frame uh, awning windows and really little or to none exterior ornamentation or, or decorative detailing on the building. Um, any comments to add or questions? Comments? Any? If there's okay. any members of the public on Zoom that wish to speak, please raise your hand for 6595 Covington Way. I have no speakers. Okay. Thank you for that. Next one. Thank you, Chair Murray. The next one is 5555 Hollister Avenue, built in 1967. Um, a lot of people out there might remember this as the historic Blue Ox Steak restaurant. Um, this is really a rare example of post-World War II commercial development associated with Hollister Avenue. Um, after, post, after World War II, a lot of commercial institutional buildings um, started to be built. And this is really an example of Googie type of architecture. Googie's really a style that really exaggerated walls and planes and massing and overhangs and signage. Pretty, from, um, you know, examples of that are, you know, at that period, post-World War II, along commercial institutional corridors, you, know, um, you had uses in buildings, for example, diners, car washes, um, retail stores. Uh, they really exaggerated and kind of had a playful identity about them. You know, something, a good example might be, you know, kind of Route 66 um, type of architecture is what really occurred um, post-World War II. Um, so this, this, this building is a great example of a Googie type of architecture designed by architect Louis Mazzotti. Um, also associated with this, with this property is the, the Hill Homestead Witness Tree. So last time we learned about Daniel Hill and the Daniel Hill Adobe um, and how he was associated with the Lagalita land grant. Um, you know, after the, the, the great drought, um, he had to sell, he sold off a lot of the land grant, land grant but did apply for a homestead. Uh, um, grant, um, which he was uh, designated uh, by the governor, um, and at that time he had a, they had to draw new parcel lines for the homestead. And the sycamore tree in the restaurant today is the, the what they call the witness tree. And so, at that point during the the surveying of the of the homestead, you know, at that time, you know. As, you know, knowing where your lot lines went were, was somewhat haphazard, I guess you could call it. Um, didn't quite have the technology like we did today. And so they'd use markers like rocks or, or trees. And in this example, there was two sycamore trees that represented the, the southeast corner of that homestead, which was put on a survey map. Um, 
And it's believed the, the, the first tree was unfortunately demolished to make way for Hollister Avenue, but they called this the witness tree because if that uh, characteristic of the tree or the rock was ever removed, they, they'd have another marker. And this is that marker of the, the Hill Homestead, which is um, this building's built around that in the sea, in the, in the trees um, within the building footprint. Uh, any additional comments or information? Well, Gallitans are just proud of this <laughs> architecture, and it still looks the same. I mean, it really, all of these buildings you've shown are just remain intact. That's what's so special about these buildings. And um, I was wondering about the spelling of the cookie, because I was looking at the LA cookie architecture, and it spells with a K. Okay. Yeah, mm. but I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll look that up. Yeah. Oh. There is a G and a K. I'm sorry, Both? I couldn't hear that. But what so you think it's G-O-O-K-I-E? No, there's one that spells with the K O O K Y K O O K O O cookie, like all those donut building stuff, and they, and then but this one could be. Are those? Do you know if those are different styles or? They're more the Route Route 66. You mean like Randy's Donuts? Yeah. Okay. Those are with you know a K. Randy's Donuts. That's what she's. Mm -hmm. the, yeah. Or like the diner in the shape of a coffee pot, yeah. that yeah. kind of thing. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Great. Thank you for that. Speaking of this mid-century um, architecture like this, you know, Arzodo's, Arzodo's mm -hmm. building, the bowling alley, is also one of the best in Southern California. So that's another building I'm going to be after. <laughs> Googie, not, not Go cookie. Cookie. Yeah. cookie. Oh, cookie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Google it. Yeah, you Google, Google. Anyway, it, it's no big deal, but it just, those built, they spell it with a K. Thank you for that. That's very interesting. Questions? This side is so quiet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anything else on this side? All right. Well, let's uh, see if there's any public comment for this particular uh, property. If I have any members of the public joining us via Zoom, please raise your hand to speak on 5555 Hollister Avenue. I have no hands raised. Thank you. All right. Number six. Thank you, Chair Murray. Uh, that brings us to 170 Nectarine. Uh, built in 1920, and again, this is a rare example of residential uh, two-story development from the early 1920s, um, and again, development between the two towns of La Galita and La, La Patera, um, I guess what we know as today as, you know, Old Town area north of uh, Hollister Avenue. Um, Really, the character-defining features of this is uh, the two-story height, as well as the rectangular plan and simple massing. 
the wood frame construction, the cross gable roof with open eaves, smooth cement plaster, and a two-story partial wide uh, front porch with a second story balcony. Any questions, comments? I meant to bring a picture of this house. I have a picture of this house. Um, I think it's dated to early 30s or something. There was nothing around it. It was just, and it's exactly the same, <laughs> except for the, the planting in front. Mm -hmm. So I'll bring it next time to show you. Thank you. Just, again, really well-kept, well-intact, and been in use since then, so really grateful. If there's any members of the public joining us via Zoom that wish to speak on 170 Nectarine Avenue, please raise your hand. I have no hands raised. Okay. Okay, last one. <laughs> Number seven. Thank you, Chair. Uh, that, that brings us to 5757 Hollister Avenue, um, currently known as Santa Cruz Market, uh, built in 1928. Um, this is a rare example of the commercial development from the 1930s um, during a period of continued growth and development of the towns of La Glita and La Patera. Um, it is also increasingly a rare representation of the continued expansion of Hollister Avenue uh, as Glita's primary commercial corridor uh, during the Great Depression. Uh, this was constructed in 1928 um, as an airplane hangar by Earl Ovington, who happened to be the first airmail uh, carrier in the United States. Uh, the building was originally um, situated in Santa Barbara, what we now know as uh, Municipal Golf Course, Muni Golf Course and then was relocated to this uh, present-day location in 1939 and used as an adaptive reuse of you know, various commercial enterprises over the year. Um, and, you know, still today is, you know, the really the only um, prominent uh, grocery store on Hollister Avenue, at least in Old Town Goleta. Is there any um, discussion or Questions, comments? Um, I just want to add a, um, additional information about this. This is really important. Uh, so uh, it, when it was a hangar, if you look at this side, the left wall, that was completely open. And it used to front Rutherford. And so uh, Mr. Uh, Robert Giffen, who's also another Kalita Pioneer family, they bought it and, and relocated. They dismantled it and then relocated here. And then this was open on the left side, and he used to use it for his uh, tractor dealership. So there was a tractor dealership at that. Then in 1955, it was, became a grocery store. And so what's so elegant is they put this Art Deco additions around the storefront. So you've got two different style of architecture, 
meeting well with that with this uh, 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 Art Deco, uh, you know, em embellishments on there. Uh, and then, so it's been um, a grocery store since 1955. And I don't know if you saw the latest uh, uh, presentation by uh, Tom Madunio on Old Town Galita. You know, he he talks about this building. He, he, he <laughs> as a young child, he was playing in one of those toys in front of the store, and little did he know that it was his eventually his life destiny. <laughs> but if you go by there, um, there's a, a nice plaque from the Galita Valley Historical Society about Earl Ovington and his, um, his importance. So this is another one of those buildings that is pretty close. It can become a, a National his, a Register of Historic Places. So I'm just saying. Anyway, and there's Thank also a great mural over here by another, another artist. It's a building that has brought all the goodness of Goleta history and artists and families, and it's just a beautiful building. So there. It. Thank you. Excuse me. Did you say 55 or 65? When 55 it is when it was I converted five. to a grocery store. Yeah. The amazing thing is it is essentially unchanged. Absolutely. The first time I went in there in 1965. <laughs> when you lived in Isla Vista, that was going to the big city. Yeah, mm -hmm. even with the S and W stamps, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's still yeah. there. <laughs> Chair Murray, did the the Art Deco front facade of that occur? Fifty-five uh, in 1954 yeah. as well. Fifty-five. Fifty-five. When they, yeah. When they turned into a store. If there's any members of the public joining us via Zoom that wish to speak on 5757 Hoster Avenue, please raise your hand. I have no speakers. Okay. Seeing none. Okay. Any commissioner comments? Where's the staff comments? Oh, that comes. It's not on the agenda. <laughs> yeah, there are no staff comments on this oh, okay. agenda. <laughs> All right. Commissioner comments, this is your chance. As we're trying to preserve these properties and maintain them, um, you mentioned about the uh, SNW stamps, the stamp sign. Now, is it encouraged or that they would always keep that as part of the decor of what makes this uh, a historic landmark that uh, has gone through such changes and yet it has a, a link to the past that something that they're still on the on the building but it is no longer you know in effect because I when I go down Hollister I notice some of these things like the the little shop that has the, the this neon sign for t tanning, the tanning shop. One of the, one of the best. <laughs> I know. I, you know we it's like the best. And, and we want to make sure that if, you know, over time when different property owners want to upgrade, are they going to be encouraged or prevented from removing things like that? Um, 
in terms of um in terms of incur I mean we can encourage them to do it um to maintain it um I know like if they propose to remove it we would definitely all be very interested in that and um I don't know if we I mean yeah I don't I don't know if I have anything more than that, that to suggest at this point I don't is it the S and the S and P sign listed in the DPR form. That's what I was going to say. It's, yeah, that's it's, if it's a if feature it's, that contributes to its historical significance. Yeah, then yeah. yes. Then yes. But if it's not, then no. But then maybe it's revisited. It just all depends mm -hmm. in the process. So. My my question would be like if somebody wanted to remove something like that or or the the, the tanning neon sign, would they have to get a permit and go through a, a process in in order to remove that? To remove it? Uh huh. If if somebody if, if a new owner say wanted to upgrade and remove. That is an interesting question. I mean, they could try. Um, but I, 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 I mean, I doubt that would make it through. I mean, it'd come before the board, you know, given its association with a historic resource. Um, go to design review board. Um, I think this is why this kind of education is really important because we're pointing out very tangible things that are, to me, that that part that should be part of the history of that building mm -hmm. because it it add, it contributes to its history and character and something that is no longer available so if you mention this stuff to me they're also like windows would you change this window it will change it will change the character of the of the building so that's something to to think about but the tanning I can, you know, when we were trying to uh, get Old Town to become a um, heritage district, you know, county came and said, this is blighted area, it needs to change. Well, no. So we got Old Town to become a, a designated historic district. That pen, that sign, that neon sign, was found to be one of the best uh, representation of those kinds of signs and everyone in uh, remember, I remember saying, this should be part of the lighting uh, ordinance. That if you have things like this are historically significant, that they should just not be removed without some kind of a um, a process. But I don't know whatever happened to that. But I would say I agree with you that there needs to be something designated about it mm -hmm. because I can see a point where someone says it's not earthquake safe anymore or there's some structural issue or I can't afford to keep repainting it you know th those kinds yeah, of things absolutely. So I agree it yeah. does need to be because yeah. what, what brings to my mind is you know Santa Claus down there on Santa Claus Lane and they decided to remove it and I mean it was really a, sh a shame but yeah part of it was oh it's not structurally sound and all of that but that they take it down to Oxnard and refurbish it, and it's still standing there with its little sunglasses on and, and decorated it. 
Yeah, and, Santa and Claus is staring at Santa Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's another conversation for another time, but uh, it's good to be aware of these things. Mm -hmm. um, maybe for, maybe from now, even though there's not uh, staff comments on, comments on here, um, there's a couple just general announcements if, if I'm able to. Yeah, please. Or actually, Mr. Roberts, do you have a comment? I just had a, a comment or a question. I, I, each one of these properties listed here, will the owners be notified that we're discussing it this way or and, and that they have this um, information? Will they get this information directly from the city? It seems as part of education that this is a key thing, but... Uh, um, when we were going through the designation process, mm -hmm. we did notify them, um, and mm. I don't, I believe only like, not none of these property owners came and spoke. Um, we did have a couple property owners come and speak. Oh, sorry. Most of those were the ones that were designated as uh, Goleta Landmarks. Mm. Um, so... We, and I provided them in the notice, we provided them links to the information, but we have not mailed this directly to them and that's something we can consider doing. Uh, just my own thought is that I mean, if, if we've got prepared, I'm looking at the big um, thing here, the detailed information on the properties that the owner uh, perhaps, uh, and if they saw it, they might appreciate its value more. I don't know what other people think on this, but. Yeah, I, I agree, agree with that, that they should be notified because we have limited information on these two pages or sometimes three. But the owners, you know, may have more information that would be valuable to us and be able to bring that to our attention. All right. Oh, I was just going to say, so you're talking about the DPR forms, correct? I guess that's what these are oh, called okay. the, in, yeah. in the big uh, yeah. book, the, okay. the detailed information, because yeah. it has very good uh -huh. Yeah, they do. They're they're well done, usually. Yeah. <laughs> At least if they get landmarked, they're well enough, they're done well enough to, to, mm -hmm. to reach that level. But um, yeah, with DPRs um, for built environment are accessible to the public. You, they can get those, where mm -hmm. if you have, they have the same form, it's not the same exact form, but it's a DPR form for archaeological resources, which are confidential. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I, I agree. I'm actually, I'd be surprised if the city didn't at some point provide that. To the property owners? Yeah. I'd be surprised if that didn't happen during the ordinance. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. It's two years ago now. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. They, they, they did. I remember they did get a letter to come forward and express right. their, but I don't know if they actually got information about their property and why it's 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 designated. You know? mm -hmm. I I I believe if I remember right, the notice said the property was identified for potential listing, mm -hmm. and I believe the letter had the link to the documents, so they may not because you saw the size of the, <laughs> of the contact statement and the document. I, I mean, I know we did not mail that to them. I'm pretty sure they had an access to a link 
Um, and I did have, um, early on in the process, I do remember having some conversations with different property owners, and some were just thrilled that they were going to be designated. And there was one gentleman who um, he liked the idea, except he's like, because I was trying to convince him that it would be a good thing because he'd be eligible for Mills Act to renovate his property. And he goes, I inherited this property. We're paying like $200 a year in property taxes. And he's like, ah, Mills Act isn't going to help me. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and he is like, and I, you know, why would you designate just because I'm the la like one of the last standing bungalows? I don't remember what it was. He goes, you know, I'm not a great example, but I'm still standing. You know, are you really going to designate me just because I'm still standing? And, and that was when the planning commission was like, hmm, that's a good point. And that's why they scaled back. One of the reasons they scaled back the list. But, but we can. We can look at it. Um, even though it's not listed here, maybe I can just do a couple of staff comments. Yes, you may. please. Um, so February meeting, um, which was scheduled for February 19th, um, as previously discussed, uh, last meeting that will be canceled due to... Uh, holiday and so our next meeting is going to be in March and that will be March uh, 18th at 530 and um, we'll continue on discussing historic resources um, and as of right now that's really minutes. oh minutes we'll do minutes uh, from the previous meetings um, so at that time, the commission will go over the, the meetings of previous minutes and approve those minutes if warranted. And um, we'll see if we get it. Election of chair and vice chair. Oh, yes. Election of chair and vice chair for, the, for 2024. And as of right now, we've had no new applications for any historic resource um, design, proposed design alterations. Um, obviously, we'll keep you updated on that. Um, and that, that does it for staff comments. Okay. Anything else? We missed anything? No? Anything? That's it? Okay. Well, adjourn, adjournment of the meeting. There we go.